Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's Talking Biotech podcast by Calabra. Now, inside each of our genomes reside the relics of ancient infections, viruses that became part of our genomes as our ancient ancestors were infected. Now, these are known as human endogenous retroviruses, HERV or HERVs. They originate from maybe hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of years ago when different viral events infected our primate ancestors. Super cool stuff. And upon sequencing the human genome, it was shown that there's something like 8% of our DNA is composed of these ancient infections. That's not too unusual, because some things like corn, it's the majority of the genome. (laughs) It's all latent viral fossils. Now, these have always been rather mysterious in humans until rather recently, when they've been directly implicated in some really insidious human diseases. Things like multiple sclerosis, ALS, you know, Lou Gehrig's disease, even some issues like diabetes. It turns out that when you get some sort of a viral invasion, you catch a virus. But some viruses have the capacity to awaken these herbs. They wake up the old viruses that are part of us, part of our DNA, leading to expression of proteins that directly cause disease. More recently, there's been clear evidence that these uh, genes, these herbs, these ancient infections, become active during SARS-CoV-2 infection and can possibly be the driver behind the neurological symptoms that we recognize as the spectrum known as long COVID. So what is the evidence? What is the progress in studying this association? And should you work really hard to not catch COVID-19? Well, today's guest is Dr. Claudia Matteucci. She's in the Department of Experimental Medicine at the University of Rome, Tor Vergata, in Rome, Italy. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Matteucci. Hi, Kevin. Thank you very much for this invitation. I am so happy you accepted this invitation because this has become my new favorite topic. Uh, Thinking about the way in which these endogenous retroviruses are exerting potentially a profound effect on different neurological issues, but maybe other health issues as well. And so I really wanted to revisit this with you and, uh, and, and with our audience. And so we've had a few guests on the podcast discuss the role of human endogenous retroviruses or HERVs in human disease. But can we recap for the listeners, what are HERVs and where do they come from? Okay, so the herbs are human endogenous retroviruses, and the endogenous means they are inside our cells, and specifically are sequencing our genome. And our, our genome accounts for 8% of this sequence, so they have a really important physiological role in humans. And they come from exogenous retroviruses that have infected millions of years ago, primates, heats, 
and then they are uh, they infected the germline, and then by the time so pass to the offspring with evolution, and so they evoluted the genome of humans come from the evolution of this sequence through the time, through uh, all the species. And this is really interesting to me. So this is something, I think you said 8% of the human genome, and this is a uh, retrovirus that, that is a relic of ancient infections that's been carried forward through primates. And so do I have that correct? Yes, yes. <laughs> and so what is the uh, known associations between these endogenous retroviruses and human disease? Uh, okay, this uh, hurts uh, are part of the physiological rule. Uh, uh, and so, um, uh, for example, for the developed embryos. But uh, uh, if there is a dysregulation of the expression of hurts, uh, this uh, uh, can be correlated to some uh, um, symptoms, modification, expression of genes and protein that are associated to, to some disease. For example, cancer, autoimmunity, uh, neurological disease. Uh, in this disease, uh, has been demonstrated a deregulation of Earth's. One of the interesting parts of this is we've had a number of guests on the podcast already speaking about the neurological manifestations in diseases like uh, multiple sclerosis and uh, ALS. But your laboratory and your group of collaborators has seen an association of activation of specific aspects of, of these endogenous retroviruses coincident with a SARS-CoV-2 infection. So what is that association? Yes, this is right. We have found uh, uh, in the 2021 uh, the first evidence that uh, one uh, protein coded from RFW uh, is overexpressed in COVID-19 patients in particular in the patients that have more severe uh, uh, condition and uh, also uh, in correlation with different clinical features of the disease. So the first evidence uh, came from that uh, um, first pub publication on this topic that came from our, uh, um, our lab. And does it seem that there are different types of patients that express this HERV-W at, say, different levels or show different clinical manifestations of, the, uh, of COVID that correspond very tightly with the HERV-W presentation? Uh, yes, what we found uh, is that, the, for example, the um, patient that express more uh, uh, protein in the blood was the one, for example, that have a higher expression of coagulation marker, of inflammation. So uh, there was a, a tight correlation between the expression and the clinical aspect. And which types of cells express HERV-W in response to the SARS-CoV-2 infection, and why is that particularly important? So the first evidence was on, on lymphocytes. And this was uh, really interesting because uh, you, we know that in COVID-19, one main aspect is the, the immune response uh, dysregulation. For example, uh, one main aspect is the exhaustion of some lymphocytes like CD8 that uh, modify 
the functional activity during the SARS-CoV-2 infection. And what we found that the expression of the protein in lymphocyte was directly correct, correlated with the dysfunction of the new response. You mentioned this is a dysfunction of the immune response, but are there any other uh, maybe obvious ways in which this is associated with any of the symptoms specifically that we see presented during a SARS-CoV-2 infection? Uh, yes, we, mm, for example, uh, there was, uh, uh, we found the correlation with problems uh, in the um, respiratory dysfunction, the need, uh, for example, of uh, oxygen. So we correlated this also to specific symptoms of the disease. Of course, we get, we went in detail with the um, molecular and cellular aspect that are correlated with and this is just a virus. I mean, SARS-CoV-2 is one of many viruses that we're uh, exposed to or that we pres- that we have to wrestle with. That uh, influenza A is another virus that's very different from the coronavirus, but it still causes somewhat related uh, symptom spectrum, similar pathologies. And so is the HERV-W protein that's being induced by the uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus in specific lymphocytes do we see that also with other viral types? Uh, oh, yes, we can say that uh, it is known that uh, the um, exposure to stimuli, different stimuli of the cell by any kind of stimuli, among these are also uh, microbes and infection, could modify the expression of herbs. And uh, uh, for example, for HIV, for Epstein-Barr, for other herpes viruses, it's been already demonstrated that uh, different herbs can be activated, and also FW, for example, for herpes virus. And uh, so uh, the response to the infection uh, induces uh, this protein, but it's also to the dysprosity correlated also to other kinds of disease that are not, are not directly linked to infection. And you mentioned the genes that are expressed, and this has been something your group and the publications have shown. It shows that there are increased expression of genes that are associated with inflammatory response. So is this the uh, the body's response against specific types of viruses and maybe kind of a protective role? Or do you imagine this might be something that is uh, just a coincident uh, problem that comes along with the infection? Okay, uh, there is uh, um, is known that FW protein can interact for with toll-like receptor four, so the, specifically this protein can induce the inflammatory response, the pro-inflammatory response, and we know that cytokine storm, so-called cytokine storm, so the induction of different uh, pro-inflammatory cytokines. Uh, is uh, uh, massive in COVID patient. And this is a, a, a particular uh, issue of the disease. Indeed, uh, several ter- uh, therapy at the beginning was just to bl- stop in some way to uh, neutralize these uh, pro-inflammatory cytokines. But RW specifically can induce it. So it's not only that these things goes together, but RW is a cofactor of this aspect. Okay, so HERV-W really seems to be the uh, causal agent in, in this inflammatory response to cytokine storm. So is there a 
important predictive value in understanding HERV level or HERV RNA levels or protein levels that can help you make better decisions about the di diagnostics or treatment of a given patient? Okay. First of all, I would like to underline that the HFW for us is a cofactor of the disease. Uh, let's say that cytokine storm uh, could be probably induced also to, from other aspects. During the, and the, the SARS-CoV-2 it itself induce uh, the, the, the cytokine storm. So I would like to uh, speak of HRW as a cofactor. And uh, uh, we are studying uh, the expression of this ERV and also the of other ERVs uh, as uh, markers uh, predictive of the response. So we are uh, we have a project uh, that have uh, the aim to use Hertz uh, as diagnostic tool, but also predictive markers, for example, of the disease, and maybe in the future also of target for therapy. Oh, very good. This is a really great start to introduce what these HERVs are, what HERVW is, its association with SARS-CoV-2 infection. And when we get back from the break, we'll talk more about its role in other diseases. So we're speaking with Dr. Claudia Matteucci. She's in the Department of Experimental Medicine at the University of Rome Tor Vergata in Rome, Italy. This is Calabra's Talking Biotech podcast, and we'll be back in just a moment. And now we're back on the Talking Biotech Podcast by Calabra. This episode is brought to you by Calabra, the data monitoring platform designed to reveal research insights and streamline reporting across your organization. With Calabra, you'll gain a comprehensive view of your research workflows, simplifying scientific IP governance, compliance, and analysis. Visit Calabra.app to learn how you can transform your research process today. C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P. -P. And we're speaking with Dr. Claudia Matteucci. She's in the Department of Experimental Medicine at the University of Rome Tor Vergata. And we're talking about HERVs, specifically HERVW, uh, as a protein that's being expressed from ancient retroviral sequences that are resident in our genome that are woken up by a SARS-CoV-2 infection and potentially has a role in the long-term effects that we're seeing from a COVID-19 infection uh, and issues, that especially that it may be neurological. And we'll explore that in the second part of the podcast. So I'm curious about the role of HERVW in other diseases. Uh, let's start there. So what do we know about HERVW and the pathology that's created in, uh, say, MS or ALS or other diseases? Yeah, it's already known that uh, HERW is uh, overexpression in patients with uh, multiple sclerosis, with diabetes, uh, in psychiatric also patients. Uh, and uh, it's already known that in this disease uh, that HERW is overexpressed, for example, in MS and in microglia, and that can directly be a cofactor of the disease. Uh, and uh, indeed, there is a lot of uh, research about this already published. And uh, also, there uh, is uh, uh, also uh, the possibility to do trials on MS and diabetes patients uh, uh, targeting RFW. 
It's really interesting to me because it wouldn't occur to me as a researcher to even look for it. Uh, but, but of course, I don't work in this particular area. But let's talk about the other herbs. Has anyone looked for or detected HERV-K or HERV-FRD, uh, any of the other HERV-associated proteins or transcripts in response to SARS-CoV-2 infection? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, um, the HERV-K expression uh, is, uh, already, has been already found in, uh, for example, in nasal mucosa. There are papers that publish this data, and we are uh, also we have data on this aspect, and um, also RFRT, for example, in uh, bronchovalvular uh, fluid has been found, and uh, as I told you, the infection can reactivate or modulate the expression of different herbs because the herbs in our genome are a lot different sequence, different family, let's say group of families. And uh, so what we, uh, our, the aim of one of our, uh, the main project we are following, that is an European project uh, on COVID and herb, uh, we will study different herbs, not only FW. And maybe this is just me speculating, but we hear a lot about long COVID and these presentation of uh, neurological uh, symptoms. So whether it's what they would refer to loosely as brain fog, you know, this inability to process quickly, um, maybe other manifestations of fatigue, other issues. Uh, is there any uh, really strong evidence of a connection between HERV-W expression and patients with long COVID? Yes, uh, to date, uh, the long-term health problems, including neurological symptoms, such uh, headache, fatigues, uh, memory loss or confusion are really uh, a problem for the post-COVID patient and uh, is uh, particularly present in those patients that are called long, they, they have long COVID. And uh, we are also focusing in uh, uh, post-COVID and long COVID uh, with, this, with our project. And we have found that uh, uh, still the expression of the protein in the blood in long COVID patient is correlated with some of these symptoms, for example, with parasthesia or tremors. Uh, it this suggests that there is uh, an involvement of uh, SARS-CoV-2, of, sorry, of RW and other herds in the neurological alteration that are related to COVID-19. And all of this is really a very rapidly emerging field. So I totally understand, you know, we're speaking of with a fair degree of speculation, but the observations that these uh, neurological symptoms seem to correlate very strongly with the blood levels of HERV-W. We know that there are neurological diseases that can be treated, at least in clinical trials, with this new monoclonal antibody approach that is directed at HERV-W, and they've been tested for safety. They look good in clinical trials. Are these potentially useful tools for mitigating the effect of, of COVID-19 and maybe long COVID? Yes. Uh, as you tell, there is a, a monoclonal antibody that's called temelibab from Genero. And uh, this is, has been already used to treat uh, MS and diabetes. And uh, we are, start, are going to start in our hospital in the future a trial on post-COVID with this antibody. 
and um, and also in Europe, other centers will start to do it. So uh, there is the uh, object to try to stop, block it, uh, and neutralize this protein in post-COVID and to verify if we can uh, diminish the symptoms of this uh, uh, aspect of the disease. It really sounds important. It seems to me that this may become a, a, a first point of care in someone who presents with SARS-CoV-2 infection because of the potential neurological disorders and the apparent safety of the monoclonal antibody. So this seems to be a really good step forward. But along that line, it seems like different patients have different levels of HERVW, but also different levels of symptoms. And so how does that variation between patients really shape those point-of-care decisions to deliver the most appropriate treatment? Uh, yes, we, in our study, since we are studying HERDW, but also other HERDs, we are trying to verify if uh, the different expression profile of these HERDs, together with the all other aspects, like the, the inflammatory aspect, are um, tools uh, as predictive markers. And we know already that we can predict uh, at the date of hospitalization, which will be the outcome of the patient. Because we demonstrate uh, that uh, at the first time of uh, detection of W at the emergency, then we know that other three weeks, uh, the ones that have higher expression of W are the ones that needed uh, the oxygen support. And are all HERV Ws the same? I, we say that there's 8% of the genome is uh, human endogenous retroviruses, but do we see sequence polymorphism between the different part, different ones that come from the genome? Do we see uh, heterogeneity? And is there any evidence that specific variants that maybe one patient may carry over another may contribute disproportionately to the symptoms that we see? Yes, actually, you, we know that uh, we see that the, the response to this infection globally is really heterogeneous. And we have a lot of people that uh, get infected and they are asymptomatic. And those that cause in hospitalization, they have really, it's those that uh, unfortunately die for this infection. So uh, one point uh, is uh, for our project is to put hers uh, uh, has uh, um, uh, these markets and uh, cofactor because there are different sequences in different individuals. We have polymorphism among all the population and we know that uh, we can use uh, these uh, herds uh, also to try to understand why there is a different response uh, to sarsal infection. Well, based on all of this, so we're talking about this very strong correlation between the activation of HERVW, the uh, presence of this protein in people with more severe symptoms. Does it really underscore the urgency to avoid infection uh, make sure you're vaccinated and take every precaution you can take to not get a SARS-CoV-2 infection? Okay, it's, uh, uh, it's difficult to think that uh, we can avoid the infection if you see uh, how much is spreading uh, the virus. And uh, But all the precautions, of course, are important. We have to try to use uh, 
the uh, all the uh, tools uh, to try to prevent the infection. At the same time, the vaccination is really important because with vaccination, we know that uh, uh, you can get infected, but then you don't uh, have uh, the worst symptoms. You don't have the, you can uh, uh, avoid the severe disease. So uh, vaccination is really uh, very important. Yeah, it seems like this is a emerging area that is extremely exciting. And uh, just to, just to not uh, not get the infection seems like a good move, or do as best you can to avoid it, I guess. So we see this kind of uh, difference in response to the SARS-CoV infection between different patients. We see that it correlates with HERV-W levels, and does that difference between different patients really shape the delivery of the most appropriate treatment? to individual patients? Uh, yes, we, we uh, as a focus of the European project of COVID, we want to use herbs as uh, tools for a personalized uh, treatment of COVID patients. Uh, so um, due to the, the heterogeneity of the response to this infection, at the same time, the heterogeneity of the sequence present in our genome uh, related to hearts, uh, we hope that uh, uh, our study, our project, European study, ARCOV, that is start uh, three months ago and it will last five years, uh, will bring uh, information to use hearts uh, as a um, target for therapy, but also marker to predict the response uh, to uh, for each individual uh, patient. No, very good, because as we can shape individual patient treatments, you can kind of customize them with the appropriate therapies. And it won't be a question of just throwing everything at a given patient, being able to shape the treatment based upon the presentation of the disease, based upon these good biomarkers, um, which is really exciting. So if people want to learn more about the project or more about your laboratory, where would they look? Yes, they can uh, look uh, on um, scientific publication, looking for herbs uh, and COVID-19, uh, and they, he will found uh, some article, uh, and they are rising uh, uh, every month. Uh, we are trying to, to find more, and, uh, and then you can find information of our European project on uh, Cordis uh, website for from UA um, and also we have a website for our project and the Twitter. So please let uh, uh, read and also um, speak and discuss with us. Yes, and the Twitter uh, handle for that the username is at Herv Cove Project H E R V C O V. P-R-O-J-E-C-T. So that's where you can learn more on Twitter. And I definitely will follow that one because I think this is an exciting story and an emerging story. And I hope that as you learn more, could you please let me know and uh, let's continue this conversation. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Kevin. It was a pleasure and uh, a really high hope uh, the this kind of uh, talk uh, and this is really help uh, scientists, but I think this could be accessible also to uh, common people that uh, as, is not an expert in this field. 
And for everybody listening, thank you for listening to another week of the Talking Biotech Podcast. This is a story to watch that as we begin to see this dovetailing of SARS-CoV-2 infections, it's the other side of COVID. Could have a role in the long-term issues that we're seeing arising in some individuals and could have important ramifications for your health and your family's health, your community's health. So stay tuned. Uh, this is the Talking Biotech Podcast, and we'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at Calabra.app. C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.